0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we are jamming with Sudha, Director of Product Marketing and Mindfulness and Compassion Ambassador at LinkedIn. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mark. So when it, we met a couple, it's been a couple years now, I think, I believe, specifically come more through the mindfulness route, which which is exciting because, it, it, you know, again, I know we're a bit biased in this, but there's not that many people in, in especially in the tech space or just in, in the corporate world, I'd say that that have these mindfulness titles in some capacity. It's growing, but it's not it's not the norm yet. So it, that is something I definitely want to talk about because I think we could we could all use a lot more of these practices, especially given everything that's going on in this world. But before we get into all of that fun, interesting uh, jam and all the topics and, and and the work that you're doing, if we put the titles aside, who are you?
1: <laughs> what a powerful question to be asked. I am just a human being trying to have an impact on other human beings. I think of my life's purpose as uh, trying to bring out the best in other people and uh, teaching them how to fish to try and bring out the best in themselves. Mm. It's why I uh, trained to be a coach. It's why I really enjoy being a people manager. It's why I have a lot of passion for uh, workplaces that are high functioning and have great cultures. And I have a really high aversion for workplaces that are toxic and feel unsafe. (laughs) So I'd say that's who I am. Just a human being who's trying to bring out the best in other people and help them bring out the best in themselves.
0: Has that has that just been instilled in you since uh you were young or is that something you kind of evolved into like where where did that frame of mind or that perspective really show up first for you?
1: It's such a um Hey, you know, when I'm in a lot of these conversations, right, and someone asks you a question that just like unlocks a part of your memory and you go, bam, that's where it came from. And so you ask me that question now. And I realized when I was in school, uh, I really loved math and I really loved uh, reading and vocabulary. And so often my teacher would pair me up with a bunch of other students and put us into a little circle. And she'd say, well, I want you to teach these kids like these algebra equations or or the meaning of these words. And she'd do that with a bunch of groups in class. And, you know, she was trying to diversify the learning and empower some of her students to teach others. I just really loved it. I just really loved being able to uh, upskill other people at something. And that yeah. that light in their eyes, when they grasp a new concept, it was just like such a powerful moment for me. I think it started then. And then I think the next time in my life, it happened in a really serious way is when I encountered Scott Shute at LinkedIn.
0: Oh, yes. Another... Beautiful guest of this show,
1: oh yeah, mutual
0: friend, yes.
1: So you know that Scott used to be the mindfulness and compassion ambassador at LinkedIn, but here's the here's the thing: Scott used to run this workshop called From Me to We, and it was really okay. all about if when you optimize your inner self, you can then have the best possible impact on others and help them bring out the best in themselves. Yeah. That just like shook my mind, and if, it like put me on the journey to who I am today. I felt like if Scott is doing this and it's having such a profound impact on me, how can I then magnify that impact for the people around me?
0: What have you noticed, you know, just in having those conversations with others that are on that journey? Because I mean, that's a lot of the work that 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 I do as well. And it's I find the most challenging part is to, you know, like it's shifting, which is great, but is to try to figure out how do we how do we have the conversations around optimizing our, you know, inner empire or ourselves and so forth and whether, there's so many different modalities to do that, but even just having those conversations to then get to, well, yeah, of course, if you do that stuff, then, you know, we'll think more clearly, we'll make better decisions, our performance will be better and all of that. But I feel like we're still in this state of transition of, well, how does this affect the business? Not all the time. But it's, it's still, still there. So for you internally, I mean, it, thankfully, and, you know, I've done some work with LinkedIn as well, as you know, um, you know, mindfulness, well-being, mental fitness, all of that, all of this stuff is, is fairly well accepted and, and, and encouraged within, within the company. But what do, what do you know, like, where are the roadblocks? Where are the challenges that you see in conversation around these topics in the workplace?
1: I'll tell you, the number one roadblock is really language. The labels that we use to describe the work that we're doing. I Mm. have noticed that the word mindfulness, for example, can evoke this reaction of it is spiritual. It's Eastern religion. It's not for me. It's meditation. And I can't sit still, so I can't meditate. So when you use the word mindfulness, it brings up all of these associations that make a bunch of people scream, not for me. Yeah. And so I know that my title in LinkedIn says I'm a mindfulness and compassion ambassador, but I rarely ever talk m- talk about myself that way internally. Internally, I use the language of coaching. And okay. I talk about coaching as the language of uh, bringing, bringing you clarity, bringing you conviction, and then bringing you the courage to follow your convictions. So that's number one. Language is a big blocker. Using language that people understand and relate to. Language that doesn't alienate seems to be the number one driver Mm -hmm. or roadblock, as you might see it. Number two is catching people when they're receptive and ready. Uh, When I was training to be a coach, we were told coaching is a want. It is not a need. You can't go up to someone and say, you need some coaching. Let me coach you. It's never going to go down well. But when a person comes to you and says, I am grappling with XYZ, You can now put your coaching hat on, you can walk them through it, and then you can tell them, hey, what we did just now, that was coaching. But it only really works when this person comes to you with a problem statement, or you are able to observe um, a state of problem, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that that your skill set can help resolve. And so finding people when they are most receptive, when they're grappling with something, applying the skills there, empowering them with skills in that moment, and then giving it the label of "well, here's what we did, just so you know," that just like flips the whole thing around for them because you solved something first, you made it useful yeah. before you sold it to them. So I've I've seen that those two are really the like the big ones, and then you turn people into advocates for the work, and then they kind of don't care about the labels anymore.
0: It's so. It, I mean, it makes perfect sense, and it's it's so fascinating that that's kind of a, you know, because I do this often, i all do breath work with, with teams, and but I never, very rarely say anything about the breath work. It's just we all arrive and we do three or four minutes of guided breath work. And it's like a whole other, whether it's in person or virtual, it's like a whole other group within three minutes. And then there's all these questions. But, you know, had I talked about it with breath work or meditation or journaling, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's not... I'm not really I'm, I'm not into that, right? So I'm curious but like how do we make it I love your points and I, and and I think they're they're incredibly useful. But there's part of me that that still wonders like how do we make it known that these options are available for people so that you know they even know that they can come to different, you know, individuals or know that hey, there are some tools or resources um that are available to me when when I'm Whether I'm struggling, I I hate to always because it often kind of default to like these practices are helpful to process emotion that are are unwanted emotions, let's say, or or challenging emotions. But there's a whole other side, right, of like expanding thought process and creativity and just you know limitless potential and whatnot. So I don't want to I don't want to put a a limit on that, but just all these practices help that, right? So yeah, like how do we? And I'm not just saying on LinkedIn, or I'm saying in general, just in the workplace, like, how do we make this stuff more accessible for people?
1: So what I'm going to talk about now kind of marries my two great labs. It's Ooh, the like it. world of what we call inner optimization wisdom yeah, and the world of product
0: marketing. Ooh, <laughs> so,
1: this so, you know, in product marketing, but in marketing in general, we talk about this framework called jobs to be done. It's like, what are the things that people are trying to get done in their uh, day-to-day life within that category? And that is then going to tell you what things your product is trying to solve for, optimize for, and help them with, right? So it's almost like you map their journey through the category, you figure out where their unserved or underserved needs are, and then your product needs to deliver to solving those things. I know solving is is a problematic word because the thesis then is that that is a problem to be solved. But so let's talk about both problems and needs, things people really want, or whether or not something is wrong. That's the jobs we done framework. Now you take that framework and you apply it to this world of what's happening on the inside. I think it is far far more useful to think about common situations that people find themselves in, mm. where these tools can help them get to a different place, not even a better place, but a different place. Yeah. So here are some examples. We know that overwhelm at work can be really debilitating. So if you're balancing a bunch of different things and you're overwhelmed, it's a very dominant what I call use case or a job to be done for yeah. when some of these tools can be practiced. And the key here is also to position the tools in a way that I think taps into science rather than taps into like a religious philosophy, because that can be alienating to a lot of people too. So yeah. here, here's a classic example. You're really overwhelmed. What's really happening is your amygdala has gone into overdrive. Your prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex has stopped working. You're operating in fight, flight, or freeze mode. And that's what that looks like. Mm-hmm. To move from fight, flight, or freeze to being able to activate your prefrontal cortex, you need to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, go into a bit of rest and digest mode. The best way to do that is long breaths, especially the out breath being longer than the in breath. What you've basically done is taught them some breathing exercises slash meditation, but without using that language. But Mm -hmm. where you started is when overwhelmed, this is going to be useful. Similarly, when distracted, that's the other one. We we suffer from great attention deficits right now. When distracted, what's going on? Your attention networks are hijacked. Your default mode network is activated, etc. What is the best way to work out of this? It is to train your brain how to focus. Can you train your brain how to focus? So a lot of Amishijas work in, in the world of neuroscience and attention. So yeah. to me, that job's to be done framework. Like, hey, here's, here's what you're grappling with, or here's a situation you're trying to optimize. Here is the scientific explanation for what's happening and how you can resolve it. And hence, here are the set of tools that you can access. And I still feel really strongly that the way we label those tools should be centered in our audience and what works for them rather than what we want
0: Yeah. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So, with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com/newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com/newsletter. Now back to the show. Oh, which is the exact same thing if we take ourselves out of the equation of all of this is the exact same thing we're doing over and over to market a product. Yes. You know, right? Yes. It's the same, it's the same thing. I mean, you have to you know, you have to meet the, you know, the buyers or the customers and the audience kind of where they're at, speak a language that resonates with them and then, oh, and by the way, we have a solution for Whatever you're you're trying to sort out. This
1: is exactly it. This is why I said it marries the best of marketing with the best of inner wisdom. The jobs to be done framework mapping unserved and underserved needs and wants, and being really audience centric in the language you use to describe the solution instead yes. of being uh, mindfulness community centered in the language.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. So just I'd love to, I'd love to just get a pulse from you since you're. Um, you're definitely within the within the tech space, and I know you know you came from uh, various roles, but uh, Procter and Gamble, and then I think it was PayPal after after that, and so forth. So I know you know your your network runs um, quite large. So I'm just curious to see from the people within your your community, like what is, where are we at with teams and individuals from a mental, um, an emotional standpoint, a mental fitness standpoint, because I feel. The pandemic we talked a lot about, obviously, and and how work was changing and so forth. And then there was this period where it's like things just kind of went back. I can't even say went back. Things changed and changed in a way where it almost felt, at least from the outside, that many teams were kind of just thrown into this new environment of one company going completely back to the office one company's not, someone's in between, everyone's kind of not sure, different mindset, perspectives, and it's just kind of like we, we're back to work. So I feel the stress of that and the anxiety of that having worked with teams But I'm just curious as, as we speak right now, um, what, what are you feeling?
1: I feel like there is like a default center of gravity that a lot of companies, especially big multinational companies default to. That central gravity is accessing the thinking center, not the feeling center or the institutional centers in our body. Mm. Which means what really happens is when you're in a tough time, and I look around, you know all the right things to say, right? Because you've processed them yeah. in your head. But I don't know if you've processed them in your heart and in your gut. And you don't know if you've internalized them into what does this really mean we need to do differently. And you say the right things for the duration of the Pandemic in this case, right? Whatever the event was. And then you go right back to your default center of gravity, which is the thinking center. And now you start making decisions through your head all over again. So fundamentally, I feel like the issue is the default center of gravity for a lot of what we call corporate America or even corporate Asia for that matter Mm -hmm. is in the thinking center. And it's because the feeling center is undervalued. We actually don't Mm -hmm. like feelings at work. We don't appreciate people that are open with their feelings. We see it yeah. as a flaw, not a strength. And so, that, I think that's the crux of the issue here. The reason we keep going back to making weird decisions after saying all the right things is <laughs> I don't think we're really internalizing those right things in our heart, and we're not internalizing them in our gut. As in, what is the different set of actions we need to be taking with this? And if yeah. we are not enough of us are there, too many of us are in the thinking center.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the other, you know, and, and this is not to, uh, you know, draw any judgment on, on anyone. I think there's a lot of people out there and, and myself included, and I'm sure you as so, well. Like, we're doing the best we can. And it's a it's a very unique situation. Uh, I think the culture of, of organizations right now. Um, but with that being said, you know, I'd love to ask you as someone that, that does lead People and works with people and has also a title of uh, you know that I think sets up a sets up a, an opportunity for you to also hold space for others. Like, what are some of the things you know? What are some of the things, the practices or the conversations that you have found helpful? Um, knowing that you know we are in this this state of of kind of operating from the thinking center versus feeling center.
1: Great question. So I'm not I'm not answering this way to try and toot. A framework that maybe I have put out there, but that framework came from me thinking a lot about how do we lead great teams? So what does it look like when you break it down into the jobs yeah. to be done? <laughs> and so I think of you know great leadership in four terms. And I just call them the four Gs. Yeah. The first one is how do you help your people glow? How do you help them glow from the inside, feel like the best version of themselves, and you help their work show up as the best version of itself? So that's the first one. The second is how do you help people grow? How do you stretch and challenge them? So every day they're feeling like they're getting a little bit better. They're growing a little bit more. We'll talk more about this as well. The third is how do you uh, let people or help people get things done? is like you re- learn the real work, but sometimes be in the trenches alongside them doing the work. So you're role modeling those behaviors that that nothing is beneath you just because you're a leader. And then the fourth one I think is a really important one is how do you let people go on to whatever they need to do next? And here I mean, sometimes people want to go do more autonomous work because they're in senior positions and they're really capable. How do you give them the autonomy? But in other cases, it also means how do you let them move to a team or a role that is much better suited for them? And if I kind of come back to those four Gs, I have realized uh, underpinning all of that is... The ability to balance what we see as a tension between caring for our people deeply and challenging our people directly. Now, Kim Scott uses these terms in her book Radical Canada, So credit where credit is due. But when I spoke about thinking and feeling, I we 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 think because we think so much and we feel so little, we think of caring as a compromise to challenging people and holding mm. them accountable. In reality, when you're able to take those two and integrate them really well, you can do these OGs really effectively. You can care so deeply that people feel your love for them and they glow from the inside. But they can also know that you're challenging them directly and so you can help them grow as much as possible. And so like that to me is the crux of great leadership. You're able to help people glow, grow, get things done and go on. But you're able to do that because you will think of care and challenge as being on the opposite ends of the spectrum and at odds with each other, you think of them as two beautiful things that you learn how to integrate, integrate leadership.
0: I love the framework. I, I'm happy you went there. I mean, I, I took note of, uh, I did read the article uh, that details and I'll put it in the, in the show notes so people can go into more detail on the framework. I'm curious. I mean, what, what comes up naturally then for me is to ask you, like, what is it that you do that to to foster that inner self for you so that, you know, you're you have the self-awareness and that you have the presence as well to be able to hear and feel the people around you and not get caught up in that that thinker mindset or the autopilot of of life and, and work, which is so easy to fall into. It's so true.
1: I think I've just I've paid attention in my life to when I felt like I was at my best because a great manager was helping me access that part of myself. And I've also paid great attention to the opposite, which is when a manager made me feel like the worst version of myself. And I've thought about those things a lot. I've thought about not just when they happened, but why they happened. And what role did the manager play? What role did I play in in us ending up in that situation? And that's kind of where this came from. So it's a a lot of reflecting. It's a lot of distilling the core principles down into terminology and words and and being able to package it up in a way, framework that is easy to remember, even for me and for others. Yeah, so like my best managers, I think, have helped me understand that I am inherently worthy. I am not being scrutinized every day to see if I'm worthy enough. So I don't have to think of every day as a chance to prove myself. Uh, yes. I have to think of every day as a chance to shine as brightly as I can and do my best work. Now, when someone gives you that kind of security and safety, woof, you can slide really, really high with that. So good managers have done that for me. Another thing really good managers have done for me is giving me a lot of autonomy and said, I really trust you. I trust you so much that I know that if you're in doubt, you will come to me and ask me for where I can help you. But if you truly think you can do this on your own, you're going to be fine. And so I've had great autonomy from the best of my managers. And and I've had managers who've given me fantastic, high quality, constructive feedback, which is the grow. Um, And I, I know what it's like to get constructive feedback that makes you feel like, you're expanding. Mm. Like you're motivated to become even better. And I know, on the other hand, with with not so great feedback, what it feels like, you feel like you're just shrinking into the like the tiniest version of yourself. You're ashamed. You're feeling unworthy. And the whole point has been defeated because they wanted to land feedback with you, but all they ended up doing was making you feel really shitty about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like similarly, on the other hand, I've I've encountered managers who are really terrible at telling me what I was doing well. I never glowed because I didn't know what my skills were. And sometimes the best skills we have are invisible even to us. So that's how this came about, is I've just reflected on the good and bad experiences. I've broken them down into what was really going on there. I've distilled them into language
0: that is easy to remember. The whole, you really, what landed really well for me, I mean, um, was was around the whole concept of proving yourself. I mean, I've personally, I, I remember... Uh, some of those managers that I've experienced as well, and and going into to work in those days where it just felt it, it's mentally exhausting to, to to constant question like, okay, am I doing this properly? Like, is is this what they're expecting? And and this shows, I mean, this shows up as well in, my, in I think in my own work as well now in, in a certain capacity. But there's definitely, you know, if you can find those those people, or, and if you are, you know. Um, if you are that manager, if you're leading people, just taking a few minutes to think about like how you can to your point, like provide that that, you know, good feedback and set that and foster that environment so people feel, you know, that they are worthy and they're doing a good good job. Like it's you just you to me, you you blow out so much emotional debt that is accumulating day in and day out. And it's just left for you, A, to feel better, but also you know, just do your best work and your best thinking and and have a good time doing it.
1: Oh my God, you're so right. It's like taking a 10 pound backpack off and leaving it behind, you're lighter. Now you can focus on what really matters. Otherwise you're carrying around this backpack filled with implicit expectations. You don't know what they want. They haven't told you what they want. You don't know if you're screwing up. You don't know if you're doing a good job. You just don't know until you get to review season and then it all comes flooding out. I mean, and there's no worse way to break someone's trust, right, is to let them believe all year long that everything is going fine or to keep them on tenterhooks, and then come review season, you finally dump on them everything that you're really thinking. And you said, why did you talk to me earlier? Why weren't yeah. you more direct? Why all the implicit expectations? Why not just tell me what your expectations are to begin with? So that's spot on, like this, like taking the backpack, putting it off, just really lightens the load and helps us be free. Yeah.
0: You mentioned the reflection, you know, over the years uh, of just various managers and so forth and the feedback and whatnot. I'm curious more on a practical level, like what does that practice look like for you? Do you have a, a consistent consistent journaling practice of some sort or some questions that, um, reflective questions that have been really useful over, over, your, over your lifetime?
1: Yeah, you know, you set me this ahead of our conversation today. So it gave me a chance to think about it because I do not have a regular journaling practice. But I did realize that the patterns of questions that I reflect on, they kind of fall into a few buckets. Okay. Bucket number one is, how did that serve me? Even if it was deep and dark and terrible, how, how is it putting me on a path that is actually really good for me? So how did it serve me is one question I ask myself. And it's uh, it's really meant to see what was the lesson there that I can walk away with. So That's number one. Number two, I ask this question myself a lot but i ask it to other people very often too is what can you control what can you influence and what can you neither control nor influence hence you have to choose to accept or surrender into so like Mm. that whole circle of control influence and surrender very important to me and i ask myself often what is in my control in the situation that i can actually do because otherwise i'm going to fixate in the outermost circle of anxiety and resistance more than i'd like
0: to and then what's one of the Oh, I have to ask you on the surrender because I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's a big one. Is there, you, you don't have to give all the details, but what, what's one of the hardest things you had to, you know, surrender to and, and just let flow and, and, and how did you know, what did you do to make that easier emotionally and, and be able to move forward?
1: Oh, I'm so bad at surrender. I'm so bad at it. But when I... You're,
0: you're human. Shocking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is kind, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, When we moved to the U.S. maybe 10 years ago, I I moved because, you know, for my husband and, and so he could have a better career and a life here. I came here kicking and screaming. I think that was the biggest exercise in surrender is kind of leaning into the experience, asking what can I control? And there were a lot of things I couldn't control. So I just had to surrender. I didn't know how to drive. And it was going to take hmm. me a year to learn and get good at it. And I, I just had to make my peace with those sorts of things because every day would have been a struggle otherwise. So I think that move to the U.S. was my biggest chest in Surrender.
0: Yeah. Was there anything that helped during that time?
1: I focused on what I could control, and I learned how to make deep friendships with people I had never met before. Okay. And there's a level of shamelessness involved in just like, reaching out to a friend repeatedly and going, do you want to hang out? Should I come over? Let's spend some time together because you're taking the risk that they will say no and they mm-hmm. will deny your a bit for connection. So I took those chances very, very much. Uh, and it's often it paid off. That really helped me deal with the parts that I couldn't control uh, because I was yeah. building a community and I had a
0: support system. I love that. I mean, that's just something we can all leverage no matter, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have to be a, a huge move across the world. Um, you can use that in, in in so many different situations. I'm curious to understand, like, what are some of your non-negotiable practices and rituals? Whether that and and please, you know, provide as much detail as you'd like. Whether those are morning routines, things you do uh, sporadically throughout the day to to also you know stay present and and have a calm mind and focus mind, and right up to you know kind of evening wind down. Uh, rituals and so forth. What what's what works for you?
1: Number one, I have to be able to sit down and enjoy my morning cup of tea in peace. You can't ask me to do anything else when I'm in the middle of that because it's sacred to me. Mm. That, that that relationship between me and my tea is is really sacrosanct. And ideally I'm gonna do that sitting next to my son when he eats his breakfast. So that's our moment together in the morning.
0: That's, nice. that's
1: very sacred. Yeah. I will not break it if I can help it. Number two, there's got to be music in my week, somewhere in my week. Either I get to sing in the car or I get to jam with my husband at home or I do some karaoke. But there's got to be some music in my week. Otherwise, my life is just going to feel really, really empty. So that's number two. What does music do for you? It brings me alive. There's like my internal metronome, I think, is like an itch I need to scratch. And if I don't scratch that itch... (laughs) Uh, And there is also like a joyful expression to music. There's a lack of inhibition to singing that I don't often experience with a lot of other things. I'm a very inhibited person otherwise. And so it helps me be a freer version of myself.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, so that would, I'd say that's the second one. Uh, I think the third for me is uh, I need time to talk to my husband. This is again a given. It may not happen every single day, but in a week, there's got to be some time where it's just the two of us and we're getting talked to each other. Even if it's about mundane things, it's yeah. truly important because once you have a child, it's very easy for your relationship to fall by the wayside and become secondary. So at least one yeah. conversation where we're not discussing the child is really important to me. And number four, not too much video during the week. So I'm a big fan of phone calls to do meetings and doing them outside. And so very often my one-on-ones or with people that are uh, really close at work, I'll ask if we can turn a video meeting and do a walk and talk audio meeting because it helps yeah. me away from the screen and my distractions and it helps me get out in nature. I, I'd say those are really basic, but they're my non negotiables
0: That last one's a really big one that I've been thinking about um, my, or more myself. There's there's someone in, in my life that I respect quite a bit that works with a lot of uh, early stage founders and we often have catch-up calls and I've noticed a pattern where she will just send me a text, you know, the morning of and say, hey, are you okay if we just, I'm like, I'm zoomed out. Are you okay if we just have a phone call? And every time, I'm like, absolutely. And I kind of do, I do exactly what you do. It's like, let's take a walk and, and do this. Because I feel like we've, like, that's how we used to take, for the most part, uh, you know, virtual calls and, and whatnot. And then now it's just, see again, one of those, like, autopilot situations where we all just... Flooded into every every call is is a video chat in some capacity, um, which there are some benefits, but it it, it is also exhausted to be Absolutely. staring at a screen like that all day and and not moving, you know.
1: Yeah, one that has your face too, right? Like one that has yeah. your own face on it. It is it's too much attention to my own face, like in a mirror, <laughs> and it's it just does weird things to your mind. It's like the difference between going to bed after you watch TV. And going to bed after you read a book, there's a big difference in the quality Huge. of sleep. You, you there you yeah. go. And so the attention hijack of being on Zoom, so it's it's absolute non-negotiable. I love that your founder friend does this, Mangabi, because like it's it feels a little harder, and you know, all the stakes are higher for founders. So the fact that she's yeah. able to give herself permission to do that, I I think is pretty big. Yeah.
0: What's uh what's exciting you these days? What 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 excites you about the, the future and, and the world that we're we're living in and where things are heading? and so forth. Because there's so much of the opposite that, you know, if we come out of our our little bubble here right now, if you turn on the news or anything, it's all negative and there's doom and gloom, but there's so much to celebrate and to be excited about. I'm I'm curious to see what's lighting you up.
1: I'm an optimist to the point of being naive, so I try not to read the news very much.
0: Yes, And when I read
1: the news and if I start going down the rabbit hole again, I just ask myself, what can I control? And it helps Mm -hmm. me come right back to what I can control. What lights me up is uh, the chance to do music. You know, I'm on the I'm on the band at LinkedIn, and so we try and put up a awesome. concert every once in a while. That that keeps me really alive. My husband's on a band as well; he plays the guitar, and so hearing him practice his songs, helping him practice his songs, uh, that, like just all of the music in life is very exciting to me, and the creating of that music is really exciting, and it really lights me up. My son is growing up, and uh, it's kind of delightful to be part of that journey. I think I have a small contribution, but a lot of it is just him, right? So being able to watch a little person evolve into a big person and hmm. maybe contribute along the way, that is really exciting. It lights me up to see who my, he might turn out to be. Yeah. There's so much beauty in nature. And I live in California where I have access to the redwoods and the beaches. I i mean, I know we've, we've mucked up a lot as a species, but... We've had some respect for spots and nature that we've left alone. And I'm really yeah. grateful for that. And going out there just like resettles my mind. So I'm really excited that we have enough respect for nature that we've left some of our state parks and national parks alone. And yes. I look forward to them being around for generations to savor. That lights me up. And, you know, most of all, markets, it's this work. These conversations, mm-hmm. if they could have an impact on five people who hear this episode, mm-hmm. that is profound. Like that one interaction with Scott I had many years ago, I think changed the trajectory of my life. And if we can bring out that awakening in people, to me, that is the biggest thing that lights me yeah. up. So I've been really excited about our conversation all these weeks. And then I'm talking to somebody else a few weeks from now. This stuff is the stuff that really just like, keeps me humming and alive. It's my life's purpose.
0: Oh, well, for those who can't see my face, I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear, of course. Of course I support that message and uh, you know send that right back to you. I mean it's to me it to be able to have these conversations with with just inspiring and great humans like yourself uh and and have the thought of just the ripple effect of that and you know maybe it's one one tool or one you know little perspective shift that through this conversation um that hopefully has has helped someone else then you know then they can you know pay that forward and so forth and and I really do believe I mean we as a as a as a species we do we do want to evolve and help each other and, and and have a nice sense of community and and it's all possible it's all possible so I thank you for for making the time to come on the show, but a higher thank you to what you're doing day in and day out with um you know people at LinkedIn but of course uh, uh, outside of, of of just LinkedIn but just holding space and providing opportunity for people to access their inner self and access that place of feeling. And that is just exponential across whether that's work, uh, personal our personal relationships and so forth. So hope you give yourself some self-love for that. You're a wonderful, wonderful person. And, I'm, and I I look forward to our paths continuing to cross. Thank you.
1: Same. It's an honor talking to you, Mark. Ever since the time that we met when you came over to LinkedIn for our uh... Lighthouse how speaker series, I've been such a fan of your work and everything that you do with uh, behind the human. So, thank you for having me here. Such a such a deep, insightful conversation and such powerful questions. Thank you. Mm-hmm.